Section 14 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 3, by James Boswell, Section 14. On the 23rd of June, I again wrote to Dr. Johnson, enclosing a shipmaster's receipt for a jar of orange marmalade and a large packet of lord hales's annals of scotland to james boswell esq dear sir i have just received your packet from mr thrales but have not daylight enough to look much into it i am glad that i have credit enough with lord hales to be trusted with more copy I hope to take more care of it than of the last. I return, Mrs. Boswell, my affectionate thanks for her present, which I value as a token of reconciliation. Poor Dodd was put to death yesterday in opposition to the recommendation of the jury. Footnote. Hawkins says that the jury did not at the trial recommend Dodd to mercy. To one of the petitions, mrs dodd first got the hands of the jury that found the bill against her husband and after that as it is supposed of the jury that tried him he says that the public were at first very little interested in his fate but by various artifices and particularly the insertion of his name in public papers with such palliatives as he and his friends could invent never with the epithet of unfortunate they were betrayed into such an enthusiastic commiseration of his case as would have led a stranger to believe that himself had been no accessory to his distresses but that they were the inflictions of providence johnson wrote to dr taylor on may the nineteenth poor dodd was sentenced last week i am afraid he will suffer the clergy seem not to be his friends the populace that was extremely clamorous against him begins to pity him End of footnote. the petition of the city of london and a subsequent petition signed by three and twenty thousand hands footnote. horace walpole says the criminal was raised to the dignity of a confessor in the eyes of the people but an inexorable judge had already pronounced his doom lord mansfield who never felt pity and never relented unless terrified had indecently declared for execution even before the judges had given their opinion an incident that seemed favourable weighed down the vigorous rigorous scale the common council had presented a petition for mercy to the king lord mansfield who hated the popular party as much as he loved severity was not likely to be moved by such intercessors at court it grew the language that the king must discountenance such interposition walpole adds that as an attempt to rescue dodd might be apprehended two thousand men were ordered to be reviewed in hyde park during the execution End of footnote. 
surely the voice of the public when it calls so loudly and calls only for mercy ought to be heard footnote johnson in the observations inserted in the newspapers said that though the people cannot judge of the administration of justice so well as their governors yet their voice has always been regarded that if the people now commit an error their error is on the part of mercy and that perhaps history cannot show a time in which the life of a criminal guilty of nothing above fraud was refused to the cry of the nations to the joint supplication of three and twenty thousand petitioners johnson's earnestness as a petitioner contrasts with the scornful way in which he had spoken of petitions there must be no yielding to encourage this the minister might have answered in his own words End of footnote. the saying that was given me in the papers i never spoke but i wrote many of his petitions and some of his letters he applied to me very often he was i am afraid long flattered with hopes of life but i had no part in the dreadful delusion for as soon as the king had signed his sentence footnote the king signs no sentence or death warrants but out of respect to the royal prerogative of mercy expressed by the old adage the king's face gives grace the cases of criminals convicted in london where the king is supposed to be resident were reported to him by the recorder that his majesty might have an option of pardoning hence it was seriously doubted whether a recorder's report need or indeed could be made at windsor all his majesty did on these occasions was to express verbally his assent or dissent to or from the execution of the sentence and though the king was on such occasions attended by his ministers and the great legal privy councillors the business was not technically a council business but the individual act of the king on the accession of queen victoria the nature of some cases that it might be necessary to report to her majesty occasioned the abrogation of a practice which was certainly so far unreasonable that it made a difference between london and all the rest of the kingdom croker i was exceedingly shocked said lord eldon the first time i attended to hear the recorder's report at the careless manner in which as it appeared to me it was conducted we were called upon to decide on sentences affecting no less than the lives of men and yet there was nothing laid before us to enable us to judge whether there had or had not been any extenuating circumstances it was merely a recapitulation of the judge's opinion and the sentence i resolved that i never would attend another report without having read and duly considered the whole of the evidence of each case and i never did End of footnote i obtained from mr chamier footnote under secretary of state and a member of the literary club end of footnote an account of the disposition of the court towards him 
with the declaration that there was no hope even of a respite this letter immediately was laid before dodd that he believed those whom he wished to be right as it is thought till within three days of his end he died with pious composure and resolution i have just seen the ordinary that attended him his address to his fellow convicts offended the methodists footnote johnson does not here let boswell know that he had written this address wesley two days before dodd's execution records i saw dr dodd for the last time he was in exactly such a temper as i wished he never at any time expressed the least murmuring or resentment at any one but entirely and calmly gave himself up to the will of god such a prisoner i scarce ever saw before much less such a condemned malefactor i should think none could converse with him without acknowledging that god is with him in earlier years wesley was more than once refused admittance to a man under sentence of death who was earnestly desirous to speak with him End of footnote. but he had a moravian with him much of his time footnote. between the methodists and the moravians there was no good will in seventeen forty nine the moravians published a declaration that whosoever reckons that those persons in england who are usually called moravians and those who are called methodists are the same he is mistaken thereupon wesley recorded in his journal the methodists so called heartily thank brother lewis for his declaration as they count it no honour to be in any connection either with him or his brethren End of footnote. his moral character is very bad i hope all is not true that is charged upon him of his behaviour in prison an account will be published i give you joy of your country house and your pretty garden and hope some time to see you in your felicity i was much pleased with your two letters that have been kept so long in store and rejoice at miss rasay's advancement and wish sir allan success Footnote since they have been so much honoured by dr johnson i shall here insert them to mr samuel johnson my ever dear and much respected sir you know my solemn enthusiasm of mind you love me for it and i respect myself for it because in so far i resemble mr johnson you will be agreeably surprised when you learn the reason of my writing this letter i am in wittenberg in saxony i am in the old church where the reformation was first preached and where some of the reformers lie interred i cannot resist the serious pleasure of writing to mr johnson from the tomb of melanchthon my paper rests upon the gravestone of that great and good man who was undoubtedly the worthiest of all the reformers he wished to reform abuses 
which had been introduced into the church but had no private resentment to gratify so mild was he that when his aged mother consulted him with anxiety on the perplexing disputes of the times he advised her to keep to the old religion at this tomb then my ever dear and respected friend i vow to thee an eternal attachment it shall be my study to do what i can to render your life happy and if you die before me i shall endeavour to do honour to your memory and elevated by the remembrance of you persist in noble piety may god the father of all beings ever bless you and may you continue to love your most affectionate friend and devoted servant james boswell sunday september the thirtieth seventeen sixty four to dr samuel johnson wilton house april the twenty second seventeen seventy five my dear sir every scene of my life confirms the truth of what you have told me there is no certain happiness in this state of being i am here amidst all that you know is at lord pembroke's and yet i am weary and gloomy i am just setting out for the house of an old friend in devonshire and shall not get back to london for a week yet you said to me last good friday with a cordiality that warmed my heart that if i came to settle in london we should have a day fixed every week to meet by ourselves and talk freely to be thought worthy of such a privilege cannot but exalt me during my present absence from you while notwithstanding the gaiety which you allow me to possess i am darkened by temporary clouds i beg to have a few lines from you a few lines merely of kindness as a viaticum till i see you again in your vanity of human wishes and in parnell's contentment i find the only sure means of enjoying happiness or at least the hopes of happiness i am ever with reverence and affection most faithfully yours james boswell End of footnote. i hope to meet you somewhere towards the north but am loath to come quite to carlisle can we not meet at manchester but we will settle it in some other letters mr seward a great favourite at streatham has been i think enkindled by our travels with a curiosity to see the highlands i have given him letters to you and beatty he desires that a lodging may be taken for him at edinburgh against his arrival he is just setting out footnote william seward esq f r s editor of anecdotes of some distinguished persons etc well known to a numerous and valuable acquaintance for his literature love of the fine arts and social virtues i am indebted to him for several communications concerning johnson boswell miss burney frequently mentions him as visiting the thrales few people do him justice said mrs thrale to her 
because as dr johnson calls him he is an abrupt young man but he has excellent qualities and an excellent understanding miss burney in one of her letters says mr seward who seems to be quite at home among them appears to be a penetrating polite and agreeable young man mrs thrale says of him that he does good to everybody but speaks well of nobody he must not be confounded with the reverend mr seward of lichfield End of footnote. langton has been exercising the militia mrs williams is i fear declining dr lawrence says he could do no more she has gone to summer in the country with as many conveniences about her as she can expect but i have no great hope we must all die may we all be prepared i suppose miss boswell reads her book and young alexander takes to his learning let me hear about them for everything that belongs to you belongs in a more remote degree and not i hope very remote to dear sir yours affectionately samuel johnson june twenty eighth seventeen seventy seven to the same dear sir this gentleman is a great favourite at streatham and therefore you will easily believe that he has very valuable qualities our narrative has kindled him with a desire of visiting the highlands after having already seen a great part of europe you must receive him as a friend and when you have directed him to the curiosities of edinburgh give him instructions and recommendations for the rest of his journey i am dear sir your most humble servant samuel johnson june twenty fourth seventeen seventy seven johnson's benevolence to the unfortunate was i am confident as steady and active as that of any of those who have been most eminently distinguished for that virtue innumerable proofs of it i have no doubt will be for ever concealed from mortal eyes we may however form some judgment of it from the many and very various instances which have been discovered one which happened in the course of this summer is remarkable from the name and connection of the person who was the object of it the circumstance to which i allude is ascertained by two letters one to mr langton and another to the rev dr vyse rector of lambeth son of the respectable clergyman at lichfield who was contemporary with johnson and in whose father's family johnson had the happiness of being kindly received in his early years dr johnson to bennett langton esq dear sir i have lately been much disordered by a difficulty of breathing but am now better i hope your house is well you know we have been talking lately of st cross at winchester i have an old acquaintance whose distress makes him very desirous of an hospital and i am afraid i have not strength enough to get him into the chartreux he is a painter who never rose higher than to get his immediate living and from that at eighty-three 
he is disabled by a slight stroke of the palsy such as does not make him at all helpless on common occasions though his hand is not steady enough for his art my request is that you will try to obtain a promise of the next vacancy from the bishop of chester it is not a great thing to ask and i hope we shall obtain it dr wharton has promised to favour him with his notice and i hope he may end his days in peace i am sir your most humble servant samuel johnson june twenty ninth seventeen seventy seven To the Reverend Dr. Byes at Lambeth, Sir, I doubt not, but you will readily forgive me for taking the liberty of requesting your assistance in recommending an old friend to His Grace the Archbishop as Governor of the Charterhouse. His name is de Groot. He was born at Gloucester. I have known him many years. He has all the common claims to charity, being old, poor, and infirm in a great degree. He has likewise another claim, to which no scholar can refuse attention. He is by several descents the nephew of Hugo Grotius, of him from whom perhaps every man of learning has learnt something. Let it not be said that in any lettered country a nephew of Grotius asked a charity and was refused. Footnote. In the list of deaths in the Gentleman's Magazine for 1779 we find February the 8th, Isaac de Groot, great-grandson to the learned Grotius. He had long been supported by private donations and at length was provided for in the charter house where he died. End of footnote. I am, Reverend Sir, your most humble servant, Samuel Johnson, July the ninth, seventeen seventy-seven. Reverend Doctor Byes to Mister Boswell, Lambeth, June the ninth, seventeen eighty-seven. Sir, I have searched in vain for the letter which I spoke of and which I wished, at your desire, to communicate to you. It was from Dr. Johnson to return me thanks for my application to Archbishop Cornwallis in favour of poor de Groot. He rejoices at the success it met with, and is lavish in the praise he bestows upon his favourite, Hugo Grotius. I am really sorry that I cannot find this letter, as it is worthy of the writer. That which I send you enclosed is at your service. Footnote. The preceding letter, Boswell. End of footnote. It is very short and will not perhaps be thought of any consequence unless you should judge it proper to consider it as a proof of the very humane part which Dr. Johnson took on behalf of a distressed and deserving person. I am, sir, your most obedient humble servant, W. Vice. Dr. Johnson to Mr. Edward Dilly. Sir. To the collection of English poets, I have recommended the volume of Dr. Watts to be added. His name has long been held by me in veneration, and I would not willingly be reduced to tell of him only that he was born and died. Yet of his life I know very little, and therefore must pass him in a manner very unworthy of his character, 
unless some of his friends will favour me with the necessary information. Many of them must be known to you, and by your influence perhaps I may obtain some instruction. My plan does not exact much, but I wish to distinguish Watts, a man who never wrote but for a good purpose. Be pleased to do for me what you can. I am, sir, your humble servant, Samuel Johnson, Bolt Court, Fleet Street, July the 7th, 1777. To Dr. Samuel Johnson, Edinburgh, July the 15th, 1777. My dear sir, the fate of poor Dr. Dodd made a dismal impression upon my mind. I had sagacity enough to divine that you wrote his speech to the recorder before sentence was pronounced. I am glad you have written so much for him, and I hope to be favoured with an exact list of the several pieces when we meet. I received Mr. Seward as the friend of Mr. and Mrs. Thrale, and as a gentleman recommended by Dr. Johnson to my attention. I have introduced him to Lord Kames, Lord Monboddo, and Mr. Nairn. He is gone to the Highlands with Dr. Gregory. When he returns, I shall do more for him. Sir Alan Maclean has carried that branch of his cause of which we had good hopes. The President and only one other judge were against him. I wish the House of Lords may do as well as the Court of Session has done. But Sir Alan has not the lands of Brolos quite cleared by this judgment, till a long account is made up of debts and interests on the one side and rents on the other. I am, however, not much afraid of the balance. Macquarie's estates, Staffer and all, were sold yesterday and bought by Campbell. I fear he will have little or nothing left out of the purchase money. I send you the case against the Negro by Mr. Cullen, son to Dr. Cullen, in opposition to Maclaurin's for liberty, of which you have approved. Pray read this, and tell me what you think, as a politician, as well as a poet, upon the subject. Be so kind as to let me know how your time is to be distributed next autumn. I will meet you at Manchester, or where you please, but I wish you would complete your tour of the cathedrals and come to Carlisle, and I will accompany you a part of the way homewards. I am ever most faithfully yours, James Boswell. To James Boswell, Esquire, dear sir, your notion of the necessity of an yearly interview is very pleasing to both my vanity and tenderness. I shall perhaps come to Carlisle another year, but my money has not held out so well as it used to do. I shall go to Ashbourne, and I purpose to make Dr. Taylor invite you. If you live a while with me at his house, we shall have much time to ourselves, and our stay will be no expense to us or him. I shall leave London the 28th, and after some stay at Oxford and Lichfield, shall probably come to Ashbourne about the end of your session, but of all this you shall have notice. Be satisfied that we will meet somewhere. 
what passed between me and poor dr dodd you shall know more fully when we meet of lawsuits there is no end poor sir allan must have another trial for which however his antagonist cannot be much blamed having two judges on his side i am more afraid of the debts than of the house of lords it is scarcely to be imagined to what debts will swell that are daily increasing by small additions and how carelessly in a state of desperation debts are contracted poor macquarie was far from thinking that when he sold his islands he should receive nothing for what were they sold and what was their yearly value the admission of money into the highlands will soon put an end to the feudal modes of life by making those men landlords who were not chiefs i do not know that the people will suffer by the change but there was in the patriarchal authority something venerable and pleasing every eye must look with pain on a campbell turning the macquarries at will out of their sedes avite their hereditary island sir alexander dick is the only scotsman liberal enough not to be angry that i could not find trees where trees were not i was much delighted by his kind letter i remember i say with too much pleasure not to partake of the happiness of any part of that amiable family a ramble in the islands hangs upon my imagination i can hardly help imagining that we shall go again pennant seems to have seen a great deal which we did not see when we travel again let us look better about us you have done right in taking your uncle's house some change in the form of life gives from time to time a new epoch of existence in a new place there is something new to be done and a different system of thoughts rises in the mind i wish i could gather currants in your garden now fit up a little study and have your books ready at hand do not spare a little money to make your habitation pleasing to yourself i have dined lately with poor dear blank footnote langton end of footnote i do not think he goes on well his table is rather coarse and he has his children too much with him but he is a very good man Footnote. this very just remark i hope will be constantly held in remembrance by parents who are in general too apt to indulge their own fond feelings for their children at the expense of their friends the common custom of introducing them after dinner is highly injudicious it is agreeable enough that they should appear at any other time but they should not be suffered to poison the moments of festivity by attracting the attention of the company and in a manner compelling them from politeness to say what they do not think Muzzle. End of footnote. mrs williams is in the country to try if she can improve her health she is very ill matters have come so about that she is in the country with very good accommodation 
but age and sickness and pride have made her so peevish that i was forced to bribe the maid to stay with her by secret stipulation of half a crown a week over her wages our club ended its session about six weeks ago footnote gibbon wrote to garrick from paris on august the fourteenth at this time of year the society of the turks head can no longer be addressed as a corporate body and most of the individual members are probably dispersed adam smith in scotland burke in the shades of beaconsfield fox the lord of the devil knows where etc be so good as to salute in my name those friends who may fall in your way assure sir joshua in particular that i have not lost my relish for manly conversation and the society of the brown table i believe that in gibbon's published letters no mention is found of johnson End of footnote. we now only meet to dine once a fortnight mr dunning the great lawyer is one of our members the thrales are well footnote of his greatness at the bar lord eldon has left the following anecdote mr dunning being in very great busyness was asked how he contrived to get through it all he said i do one-third of it another third does itself and the remaining third continues undone End of footnote i long to know how the negro's cause will be decided what is the opinion of lord auchinleck or lord hales or lord mombodo i am dear sir your most affectionate etc samuel johnson july twenty second seventeen seventy seven end of section fourteen